service in a fleet short of hands. But they had aboard Tarvit with the serious cases, incurables, the accumulated results of two years of sea service. The ship was carrying home those who, whatever the cause of their confinement, were too badly injured to ever again be of use to the Navy. It was assumed some would not survive the sea journey, which, even with clement weather, was held to be inimical to a patient's well-being though the tossing about the ship was undergoing was thankfully relieved for the patients by hammocks. Once home, those who still lived would at best be released as invalids. At worst, they would lie in the naval hospital at Haslar and no doubt, in time, expire there. The weather, Mr. Pierce, cannot stay this way forever. We all pray daily for alleviation. Since I do not pretend to believe in divine oversight, Mr. Fuller, I will leave the begging for a better future to you. But I will say this. If the weather deteriorates further, we may have to come about and return to Leghorn. Surely a decision for Mr. Hawker. I, sir, am not on board for adornment. If the service insists on a naval officer taking a place aboard a chartered vessel, it is, I must inform you, one of ultimate responsibility. That got a pinched look from a small fellow with ginger hair and bad, blotched skin. Pierce, taller by far, even sitting, was not about to admit it was a discussion in which he and Hawker had already engaged. They found themselves in agreement as to what might be necessary if the present weather showed any signs of deteriorating, although neither was happy to adopt such a course. Certainly they had no need to consult a fellow who was held to be no more than a counter of beans. That said, the ship's master was an employee of the company, and might be sanctioned by them for his actions, especially if the Navy Board sought recompense for a contract questionably executed. John Pierce had his own concerns, which made the notion of a return to Leghorn unpalatable. Yet right now he was more anxious to cover himself, given he was returning to England and an uncertain future. I require from you, sir, a written explanation as to why you declined to see to the proper trim of the ship. It has already suffered damage to wood, canvas, and cordage, which will cost money to repair. That, given the cause, is not something that should fall as an expense to the King's Navy. And I, sir, decline to provide it. I have done my duty by my employers, and that is where my obligation lies." Then I must tell you it is a daily entry in my log, and that will be true of today. Your refusal will be noted. That got a sly smile, exposing uneven and yellowing teeth. While I, sir, will record your threat. It is a habit among naval officers, sir, and a bad one, to think their orders are holy writ. The man who held your post on the voyage out shared the fault. I dare say you and your kind would flog me if you had the freedom to employ the cat. Pierce was thinking a ducking in the sea would do this irritating sprat the world of good, while being well aware he did not have the power to act in such a manner. In conversation with Hawker, it had been suggested that Fuller may well have pocketed the money that would have gone to pay for ballast. In short, he could be risking the lives of everyone aboard for personal gain. If they got home safely, his peculation might not be questioned, even in the unlikely event his employers discovered it. The matter would have to be kept from those paying for the charter. I have good reason to think you believe in an all-seeing God, Mr. Fuller. Who does not, sir? 
Pius declined to reply, me for one, only to be interrupted in what he was about to say, that if anything untoward should happen, Fuller was bound for perdition. The outbreak of a high-pitched wailing was a sound that struck at the Pierce heart, but was not allowed to show in his features. Indeed, he tried to appear irritated. Few aboard knew the crying infant was his own son, which meant a fiction of seeming indifference had to be maintained. To all who had seen him since birth, he was the child of the late captain and still-living Mrs. Ralph Barclay, given space in the great cabin out of both sympathy and regard, as well as on the orders of Admiral Sir John Jervis, commander-in-chief of the Mediterranean fleet. Fuller had pulled a face full of insincere concern at the sound of infant discomfort, and given their conversation had achieved nothing, Pierce was desirous of getting rid of him. The wailing ceased abruptly.